0: It's the only the way.
1: The Parisi Palace, high above 2919 East Broadway. This is our number two of the Jake Feinberg Show, coming to you live on Power Talk 1210. Please go to PowerTalk1210.com, download the app, and stream all of our live local shows, including the Jake Feinberg Show. Can't thank you enough for making us part of the program today, and it is an honor, really, to bring in my next guest, a, a comrade of mine, someone from. My generation who has been straddling the course between capitalism and individualism and creating applications to merge the two. Uh, A dear friend and a comrade in arms, former Scataconian, Andrew Fabian, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show.
0: Thank you, Shaky Jake. Great to be on with you. Yeah,
1: great to hear you, man. How are you, brother?
0: Doing very well, thank you. How are you doing?
1: I'm having a ball. I mean, I just I, I, I interviewed Graham Nash from Crosby Stills and Nash this week. Uh, you know, it just keeps bubbling and boiling. You know you know, you see what I'm doing. you know, I'm just cooking, man.
0: Well, I appreciate that Graham warmed up the stage for us.
1: <laughs> you know my you know, I want to talk to you about uh, can you can you give us an update, just a generic update on on the MIbby application?
0: Jumping right in with the business. So MIbby is a platform that enables people to do, challenges with friends and groups across different areas like fitness, food, and fashion. And we launched an app at the end of 2015, and we've seen really terrific uh, growth in terms of the users and the, uh, the people doing different types of challenges on the app. And we're actually entering a really new, exciting phase where our technology for challenges is beginning to be incorporated into major media companies' digital platforms.
1: Uh, you know, I just was I was hoping you could go back and uh, and personalize your passion for how this even got started. I mean, is, does it I was reading somewhere about you uh, uh, going out to the Bay Area, uh, very tech heavy, very gentrified now. But um, you needed you were missing your your East Coast friends to to push you to work out. Was it really I mean, was that the, was that the incentive or can you can you shed some more light on how you even got going on this?
0: Yeah, that was a major impetus for uh, what maybe has become today. So the backstory was I lived in Philadelphia for a couple of years uh, doing business school, getting an MBA, and then moved out to San Francisco to work in credits with his technology investment banking group and covered the internet and software uh, verticals, took a lot of great companies public, worked in mergers and acquisitions. But while I was out there, I had moved away from a lot of my social network that was back east. And one guy in particular who I used to run with all the time uh, was obviously across the country now, and I found my running really slipping and started to think about how technology could be used to be pushed to run the way he used to pull me off the couch and sort of came up with this idea of, well, what if we could actually do running challenges against each other even though we're separated by 3,000 miles? And so that was sort of the original Concept for what a challenge could be and then We quickly realized that it had broader Applications than just running Or even just fitness
1: How did? Can you talk about the, the pilots That you guys did I mean first of all running In San Francisco I was just out in San Francisco for my Ten year wedding anniversary and You know walking up uh, those Those it, Thank you uh, it's been a long one But the, the uh, um, It's not easy to run in San Francisco So I mean can you talk about those Early times when you were just sort of you know, flying, flying blind, so to speak, and 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 ha- and how you work through it.
0: Absolutely, San Francisco is a beautiful place. I've actually lived out there for a total of around seven years on two separate occasions. Wow! Most recently, I lived out there with my then fiance, now wife, Rebecca. And there's a lot of beautiful stuff out there in San Francisco and around the Bay Area. And we were very fortunate to live in a an area of town called the Marina. My favorite run was to sort of run along the water, along the bay, all the way down to the Golden Gate Bridge and back. And to really sort of take in that bucolic setting while also getting the benefit of uh, some exercise was uh, a wonderful thing. And not to mention being able to go out of the, the city and you know, do hikes in some of the surrounding areas like Marin that was all just uh, really through the grace of God stuff.
1: Well, no, I mean, but I, I guess, like, uh, I mean, with your with your buddy who who used to push you, um, yeah. I mean, you didn't have to run at the same time, right? I mean, you just would check. I, I, can you explain from a from a lay point of view how you figured out that it would be something that could apply to other applications?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, some of the companies that we were working out there uh, started. You know, push the the wearables envelope, uh, companies like Jawbone and Fitbit. And what we realized was that there was a whole proliferation of wearables and uh, fitness tracking going. So what we decided to do was build a platform that was completely agnostic to whatever device or application you use. So it could be the ones I mentioned or others like Garmin and Apple Health. And really regardless of the time that you are doing your – work out um as long as it's within the time frame of the challenge and so you know if one person's a night runner in new york and the other person's a morning runner out in california one person's using a garmin the other person's using their apple watch we don't really care but all of the data just seamlessly flows into the platform and you, know, you mentioned camp scatico before where we both went i um, actually in a really fun walking challenge against uh, my old camp counselor and mentor, uh, Eric Diamond Tanner, oh. uh, right now. It's oh man! been Going on throughout oh. the month of April. Oh, and, that's uh, great. Yeah, we're getting to the home stretch now.
1: You're going to have to connect me with that cat. He's a mercurial, cat. Uh, it would be a huge, huge catch for the JFS Scatico portion of the show. But no, but that t- to me, uh, you know, can you like you obviously had a had a gig there. You were making dough, um, but was there an incentive to also say? well, if we do this, I mean, I want to get out and, and, and exercise, but on top of that, this might also be an entrepreneurial goldmine. I mean, was, was, was the money an incentive to exercise or the potential?
0: The, the focus was really about building a cool product. You know, It certainly occurred to me that it would be something that I could use. And in discussions that we had with uh, friends and colleagues and other people, Uh, that we were connected to, we started to realize that it was something that others would use as well. And we built it for that sort of core user base and sort of built it out. We got feedback as we beta tested the product and made refinements. And we always focused on having a great user experience and having the people who are coming on uh, really be passionate about what they were doing and why they were using it. And as a result of that, we've seen really nice growth. And on the consumer app side, and now what we've really seen as well is the excitement that media companies have about incorporating our technology platform into their apps and websites.
1: How big? How big is the is your company right now?
0: We are in terms of employees. We have five employees. We work with a lot of great people who are not uh, official employees, and like designers. Uh, in new york on a part-time basis but we are a a lean team but we've been able to accomplish a lot i was uh really lucky to co-found the business alongside two great technologists a business school classmate of mine as well as another gentleman who's a world-class developer so we've been able to accomplish a lot with a lean team
1: talking to andrew fabian here on the scatical portion of the jake feinberg show um have you did you know can you did, did you feel like uh that you know you've you've been doing quite you can break down all the different professions or the the different types of employment you've had but I mean did you feel passionately you always struck me as an individualist uh, in at camp I mean, did you did you feel like that you your individual voice was not being heard that you wanted to go outside of just the just the corporate structure of being some sort of minion uh, and create something on your own I mean it, it was that Was that a driving force? Most people might just settle for a gig with Credit Suisse, but did you want more?
0: I've always had some entrepreneurial inclinations, but I've been very fortunate to have some wonderful jobs with uh, big as well as small companies throughout my career. Credit Suisse was one of them. Um, I had begun my career as as a corporate attorney and had worked for a semiconductor company out in the valley and had worked for a venture capital-backed clean tech company where we were small when i started i think i was employee number five or six and we grew it to over 100 before we sold it and you you learn different things and uh, as long as you have i think great colleagues people that you can learn from great mentors then you're able to benefit a lot from working within big companies and I wasn't really actively looking to leave. I was actually having a wonderful experience with Credit Suisse, and I still miss a lot of the people a lot, although we now work on different types of uh, business deals and transactions together. But it was more of it, you know, this idea came to light, and I felt like we had the right core team once I got uh, connected with my co-founders, and there was a, a shared passion for doing this and going and building it. So it's been a wonderful ride the last, a year and a half or so, but I've also had great experiences before that working in big companies.
1: Can you talk about, I mean, just to get to get down on, on the life level, um, can you talk about a period of time in your professional career uh, where you were fighting it and you had to overcome that adversity and how it made you stronger?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I would look to my early days, actually the first job I ever had as a corporate attorney in New York and I was working at one of the big corporate law firms and working long hours and working on different types of deals. And, you know, I, I knew I was learning a lot, but I can't say that I was completely passionate about everything I was doing. And, you know, back to our days at uh, summer camp together, I was always into trying to pursue things that I was passionate about, but I was very lucky uh, in my second year with the law firm that I got assigned to work with this small uh, publicly traded semiconductor company. And they were so small that they were almost a bit overlooked and there was no senior associates uh, doing any work for them. So I was sort of thrown a lot of their more senior level work working directly with a partner who had become a mentor of mine. And I really enjoyed working with the management team there and getting the responsibilities. And as that company grew, I got very lucky that I was sort of growing with them. I was learning a lot about the legal profession. They got big enough that they decided they wanted to hire their first general counsel, and that was me. Wow,
1: um, wow. And
0: that's why I moved out from you know, New York to San Francisco, and at the time I was the youngest general counsel of a publicly traded company in the country. And that was an exciting thing, but it carried a lot of responsibilities, but went from a situation, again, where I wasn't really passionate about what I was doing to something where I was suddenly part of a business that I was very passionate about. Uh, building and growing.
1: I just think it's important. I want to go back to the corporate attorney stuff before the semiconductor came into play because you you talked about the word luck. I don't know. I mean, so many cats are locked into these corporate gigs, working long hours, and maybe that they don't even maybe they're not even conscious of the fact that they want to develop their own niche. It might require taking chances, being bold, trusting in yourself. But what is your advice to younger cats, Andrew? Because listen, man, I I got two younger daughters. I am not interested in, in living in a, in, a, in a society of droids, and I want you to talk to Younger Cats about what, you, what your advice would be if they have an inkling or if they're just burning out of the corporate sector.
0: I think it's really important for people to follow their passion, and obviously you have to balance that against um, responsibilities or obligations that you have uh, in life to you know, family and other things that are important to you. Um, but I am a believer that sort of you have to define for yourself what your measure of success is. And I think that once you do that, I think that if you can find something that you are passionate about and then just sort of drive relentlessly towards the finish line, that that can be something that's very rewarding in and of itself. And while there is that sort of finish line of success that you've defined for yourself, I think that it's incredibly important to make sure that you're enjoying the journey. And that again comes back to, I think, the passion aspect where, you know, are you excited about what what you're doing? So that, you know, whether or not you make it to, you know, where you think you want to go, it's really important to be having fun on the ride.
1: The Jake Feinberg show is having fun on my ride. And I agree with you 100%, my man. I, you know, you talk about having a, a core team at, at, um, at MIBI. Um, could you talk going back to scatico uh, yeah the, the greatest team moment that you had there in an, in an athletic sense
0: look at it in uh, you know two different ways um, from myself as a, a player I think the the greatest uh, team I was ever a part of was an under 13 softball team I think back in 1987 mm. um, that that was we actually were the defending champions and i was on the team in 86 as well And that was a great team uh, i think kenny senior was our pitcher he was a, a bunkmate of mine and was the mvp and we were defending champs and i think that sort of carried a lot of uh pressure for the team i don't think scatico was uh, defending champions too often but <laughs> we had a we, <laughs> we but you know that's sort of the, the nature of the uh, sure. the athletes that we had up there absolutely but we had a, a a great team that was sort of a mix of people from my division, guys like AT, um, and then people from the division younger, Josh Cammie, um, Danny Peritsky, who is the pitcher and I think won MVP that year. But we went on a great run, and to, and we, you know, we won the tournament, defended the title, and to do that with the expectations being high was something that was really fun, and I remember sort of being the shortstop and the last guy, Uh, The last out was made and uh, a guy hit a ground ball to me and sort of ending up in uh, the arms of all the teammates. I think we huddled right around somewhere between first base and the pitcher's mound. And that's something I'll never forget. That was a great feeling of success.
1: Yeah, I remember playing with you countless times, field three, whatever, that that standard crow hop you used to have on the throw to first base, you know, and that feeling of of ending the game and celebrating. Who Who were the coaches on that team?
0: I remember Dave Roche was a great coach. I don't remember whether it was in 86 or 87, because, uh, again, we had the back-to-back wins. Um, I think Roche was the coach in 87, um, and that was that was great. And then we also had uh, Mike Medorfsky, Maz, and uh, one of the Deutsch brothers um, coached the team as well. So, you know, some great sort of Scatica legends there who, uh, you know, were great baseball players, uh, great softball players, and we were able to learn a lot from.
1: What about on the – I mean, can you talk about – I guess, uh, you know, I mean, I was I, I like playing softball too, but, I mean, how about on the basketball court? I was always impressed with, you know, you always had kind of a uh, Rumiel Robinson kind of flair, you know, always <laughs> distributing. That might not be the best, maybe a Mark Price kind of thing. But, I mean, can you talk about a basketball moment, maybe especially – I mean, you were in friendly friendly territory on the on the scatical Ball fields, but when you were in a hostile environment inner camp, when did Andrew Fabian show up and, you know just get on that van on the on the way home and 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 feel like you know you had grown a little bit?
0: Sure. I mean I, you know, basketball was a passion in growing up in New York City, you know playing inside and outside and bringing that up to elizaville. <laughs> um, yeah you know, i was I was a short guy. I was like four foot nothing and yeah, you know, I was just, again, fortunate to have some people in our division, guys like you know, Danny Alcheck, who was you know, really a terrific basketball player And you know, in 1990, which was our nat uh, year. Uh, we unfortunately lost in the first round, but I remember we were getting sort of blown out at halftime and Danny sort of just took over the game in the second half. The guy was technically the point guard, but I mean, Danny was bringing the ball up. He was doing everything and Brought us back. We ended up. We lost the game by a few points, but it was uh, it was a great run. It was a fun game, and we had come together very closely as a team. And then when I ended up being the assistant coach of the Nat team, uh, my last summer at camp in 1994, that was sort of seeing it from the other side. But I was very privileged and lucky to get to coach my brother um, and a great group of basketball players that included. Adam Fleischner in his young days, I think he was a sub-senior that summer. Some of my campers, like Frito and John Jacobs, who were lower seniors, but then the core team, of like Tomer and Danny Alper, um, and Scott Francis and Berman, and it was a great team, and we lost by one point in the finals, but it was just a fun run, and it was the same core group that we had won the under-14 with at Wani a couple summers before that. And it was unheard of for Scatico to win basketball tournaments, but I always remembered my first summer at Camp 85, Steve, Stevie Ullman leading SCATACO to winning the Nat. So that was something that I just sort of expected we should be winning and sort of to get back into the winning ways uh, with my brother and his division and then to get so close in the, uh, in the 94 Nat finals. And then well, you know, no, I know the, yeah, kids, I mean, let the me... next summer won it.
1: I mean, let me be clear, I don't remember many things from from a from an <clears throat> athletic point of view at Scadtico, but if I remember correctly, Dave Fleischner made a horrendous call on Adam Fleischner on the defensive end at the end of that game. Your brother had, go, had was driving to the hole for a, a bank shot, put put us up one, and then there was a questionable foul call. I remember just feeling so soulless after that. Am I getting that that right?
0: You know, it's funny. I don't want to point like, any fingers. No, I, I mean, but is that I, the I tournament? Think it, I right? think it's fair. I mean, you have a great memory, and I think it's fair to say that you know, a lot of other camps there would be no sort of home jobs yeah. where the call would, where the calls would always go in favor of the home camp. Huh. And at Scatico, I think we went so out of our way to, uh, to 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 have the doctrine of fairness really carry the day that sometimes the calls actually ended up going against us and. I do think there was an unfortunate call or two at the end of that game, but I guess you, you want to be in a position where the referees can't impact the uh, the outcome. And unfortunately for us, right. you know that day it, it did happen. But I think a lot of guys, you know, held their heads up high because they know they had played a, a great game and a great tournament. and you know, I'll ever I'll forever be proud of having been a part of that. Well, no, it was, and that's
1: the point is that it was such a great game. It was a sunwashed day. I was totally sunburned from. Uh, I was uh, doing the PA work on that game and uh, uh and, and just just to hear that whistle was confounding to me. Uh but the the um you no know, you know one of the Ls on the Jake Feinberg show when I interview uh the Heavy Cats, the musicians um is leadership and we talk about you, you brought up the word fairness at scatico Can you talk about uh you know a, a great leader or a mentor that you had there, and and what kind of leadership qualities they exhibited that might have been uh, unorthodox.
0: Absolutely, uh, I mean there were so many you know, great uh, counselors um, who had such a, a meaningful and long-lasting impact on my life. I mean, one who jumps to mind right now was you know, Greg Mazarin um, who was uh, my division leader. Uh, both our lower senior and upper senior summers, and you know, the, the concept of you know fairness and inclusion were certainly things that I think were characteristics that uh, Maz brought to the table. Where you know it didn't matter who you were within the division, if you were sort of you know an athlete or if you were one of the people who is more artistic. I think that Maz made everybody feel really special. And was very much into sort of bonding and cohesion and bringing the division together. And I am sort of blessed to have a lot of my closest and best friends uh, throughout life. You know, people who still are, are best friends to this day who I get together with who, you know, date back to those days as, uh, as bunkmates. I really credit Maz for helping us all realize the importance of uh, friendship and bonding. And sort of bringing us together, sort of regardless of what our backgrounds were, or whether we were you know into sports or other stuff.
1: Would you say that you were that you didn't have those capacities when you came to camp? Were you more of like just sort of a cocky city kid?
0: No, I mean back in those days, you know, you didn't really know the difference from the city or the suburb. right? Um, you know, I think that you know, certainly sports and athletics was very you know, important to me and competition. And that sort of remained something that was true throughout my days at camp and even beyond that. Um, but I do think that camp certainly helped to instill in me a sense of, sort of fair play and a sense that there was uh, – that sportsmanship was important and that there was uh, more to the game than just who won or lost.
1: I mean, I mean, when I interviewed uh, Craig Fischelberg, you know, he he was talking about uh, kicking the, the basketball into the woods after he lost – and then he'd have, like, Billy Goldner come over and be like, you know, that's not the way we want to do things, you know. And then he really – I mean, did you have one of those seminal moments where you just sort of had a tantrum after losing? I, I do remember you being competitive, and you were a good deal older than me. So there was a – I don't know if intimidation, but there was a wariness there. Was, there. was there a moment you can point to where you really realized that you, your sportsmanship needed to have a course correction? Yeah, I
0: think my first summer at camp, which was 1985 – I vaguely remember that, I don't remember what the activity was. I think it was evening activities. It might have been um, one of those a uh, scavenger hunt or something. Sure. And perhaps the team that I was on um, was, you know, had pre- treaded on, uh, you know, whether we followed all the rules and coming up with some of the stuff. And I remember, you know, Dave Fleischner uh, taking me aside afterwards. And he said something to me to the effect of, you know, in five years, nobody's going to remember who won or lost this evening activity, but they will remember whether you were an asshole. And, you part know, <laughs> pardon my French. No, it's sister, fine. That's what I'm looking for. FCC rule. That's all right. No, but we're good. I do, you know, I mean, that was, I mean, gosh, that's 30 years ago, and that still sort of sticks out in my mind. And that is, you know, I, I guess has sort of informed how I you know, approach situations both in athletics and elsewhere. It's sort of like what the impact. Uh, The lasting impact of the actions you take are going to be
1: talking to Andrew Fabian on the Jake Feinberg show. And, um, uh, you know, you have friends, obviously, uh, that send their kids to camp now. Do you um, do you get a feeling that uh, I mean, some of the old old guard is there, but uh, what are your what do you think about as far as Camp Scatical in 2016, aside from the activities being different um tell me about the vibe when when was the last time you were there and how do you think it's the same or different from when we were there
0: i haven't been up there in a number of years and you are correct that i have some close friends you know former bunkmates of mine former counselors of mine who are sending you know kids up there and i continue to hear wonderful things and i think that as long as you have Dave Fleischner and his family at the helm, that I think that certain things, or I would expect that certain things would never change. And it does sort of sound like a, a wonderful place uh, to be, and you know, the world changes, and I'm sure certain things have changed at camp. Um, I haven't been up there in a number of years. I, to see camp as, a, as an outsider is always a bit of a strange feeling for me. Yeah. You know, as Having been an insider and having been at camp for 10 years, that was such a magical place, and to have had all of those experiences—those are things
1: I'll treasure forever. Do you think you send your kids to camp?
0: I, I got married uh, a year and a half ago. Don't have any kids yet, but you know, last night, um, you know, passed over with my brother and his wife, and uh, Rebecca and I's niece Emma. There, um, you know, was uh, certainly thinking about. You know what a, a wonderful place camp uh was and still is and uh i think that emma and if uh, rebecca and i do have a family um we would certainly you know i think be excited about the prospect of uh of sending our our kids to scatico because it offers so many wonderful things
1: uh just wanted to ask you about um if you could talk i mean it is passover um i connected with your father uh through you had a really had a great dialogue with him um but I just wanted you to talk about a seminal moment with your dad. It didn't doesn't have to be in, at Scadical, but uh, a time when you saw him as um, not just somebody who brought home the bacon or was a good hus- a good father, or a good husband, but when he was truly an authentic uh, human being, and re- you realized that he was uh, just you know a. a, a a mentor and you, uh, someone you looked up to. I guess what I'm getting at is respect. Respect is hard now with the changing dynamics of the nuclear family. Um, but when did you recognize your dad as somebody that you revered?
0: Sure. I mean, I, you know, revered and loved my father, Larry Fabian, throughout my life. Um, and you know, he's certainly been a wonderful role model for me. Um, I guess I think back to you know, childhood and you know, playing sports, and um, you know, my father taught me to play ball, um, and that was something that was sort of an important part of my childhood. But then as I got older and adult and playing on uh, teams, and I just I always remember that my father worked very hard. Um, he had a, a successful law practice that he still you know, has carried through to this day and has also been an investor in real estate and film and entertainment and has done very well with all of that but what I was always grateful for and even more so now as I look back was that my father was very very often at the ball games that we would have uh, after school and those games would be at you know three four o'clock and you know no matter how hard my father was working on different types of Uh, deals and business pursuits that fact that he found the time to put that aside and to come out to Randall's Island or wherever else we were playing our sporting events to be there and to support me and to root me on was something I was again grateful for at the time but now uh, being able to look back and know that he was there and supporting me and rooting on my classmates and myself was really a great privilege that uh... Um, just it, it means a ton to me.
1: No, it's it's beautiful stuff. Um, you know, I've, I've gotten emails from cats uh, from Scattico. Uh They they love my show because they just get to hear the voices of these people, make them laugh. Other people, obviously, just you know, sort of hearing the stories they never knew before. But I wanted to ask Andrew Fabian, why do you, why do you love the JFS?
0: Well, I think the first word that comes to mind is authenticity. I think that you ask really sort of wonderful questions and I think come at um, this from a very authentic perspective and are looking to sort of get at the, the heart and the soul of uh, what makes people tick and, you know, what drives people. And I think that's something that is, uh, it's inspirational to see you doing this and following your passions. It's really fun you know, listening in. I think it's a, a wonderful show. I enjoy when you interview people that I do you know and uh, in some ways i enjoyed even more when you interview people i've never even heard of i think that <laughs> you, you ask wonderful questions i think you drive great insights and it, uh, it's really a fun thing to be a part of now
1: well i, I hope i can be a part of midi at some point uh, maybe at some point uh, as it continues to grow uh, you know in, in some capacity some sort of broadcasting competition but um you know andrew it's, it, it, i really appreciate your support man and uh I look forward to catching up with you in Gotham uh, at some point in the near future and send my love to Dan and the whole family and uh, happy Passover, brother.
0: Thank you very much. All the best to you, Jake. All right, brother. Cheers. Take care. All right.
1: Jackson, You in a minute, you want to talk about uh, Bobby Keys?
2: Oh, man. Well, I was just going to talk to you about it, but this is right. a nice treat. Go ahead, yeah. Well, I didn't actually get to meet him, but uh, while I was working Country Thunder, and I was bringing on the musicians' guitars and whatnot on the stage. Once I was all done, I'd go hang out with them by their trailers as they're, you know, smoking up the sure. semis and what, you know, whatnot. Right. And uh, <laughs> what, what a bass player in particular, you know, I was just chatting with him, you know, like, hey, what's, you know, what's the coolest gig you've done recently or something that kind of happened to you that that's interesting? And he's like, well, it depends. What do you play? What do you do? I'm like, oh, you know, I play a little saxophone. He's like, oh, I got a great story for you. He's like, one time we were playing this uh, rock concert, and it was just like his band. And it wasn't even uh, part of uh, Bobby's, you know, shtick. And they were just rocking out. And this, like, old guy just kind of, like, throws his case up on stage. And security seems to recognize him. And the crowd parts. And this guy just kind of climbs up on up. And they're kind of like, who is this?
1: What's going on here? What venue was this? Where was this?
2: I don't, they, I don't remember exactly so, what they ha- told me it was. Okay, go ahead. Continue. And so this guy, he climbs up on the stage. And they they recognize him once he's up there. And they're like, oh, my God, you're Bobby. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And he's like, do you know any of my songs? They're like, no, your songs we've transcribed memorized all of them he's like well would you mind playing one so they changed their entire concert to rolling stones uh songs that this guy wrote you know all his sax solos, and they just ripped on every single song that he would request and they knew it
1: down to the beat charlie watts and bobby keys are the two unheralded like ambidextrous swingers uh, charlie plays drums still with the stones and uh bobby keys rest in peace uh, classic story as we fade out here on the Jake Feinberg show. Jackson, uh, thank you so much. We uh, we heard from Billy Harper, we heard from Misha Ballard, and we heard from Andrew Fabian. We just heard from Jackson Craft, and uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, this show will be repeated uh, again and streamed on Power Talk 1210. Again, I encourage you to download the app and stream all of our live local shows. Thanks so much for being part of the program. We'll be back next week. Take it easy. Peace.
0: The business-friendly talk alternative is a perfect way to get your advertising message across. Call us and see just how affordable radio can be. 520-355-2207. That's 355-2207. We look forward to helping your business get some extra attention at a price that makes sense. The power to think for yourself. And a great way to boost business. Guess who just won Best Pizza of Tucson? Chariot Pizza. Chariot Pizza has two locations, 3930 North Flowing Wells Road and 1835 South Albanon Way. Chariot Pizza is home of the world famous Large One Topping Pizza for
1: $10.99. Chariot Pizza also offers takeout for all of its delicious items on the menu. So this way you can enjoy Chariot Pizza's outstanding Italian food in the comfort of your own home. That's Chariot Pizza, home of the Italian food reminiscent of Italy, and voted Best Pizza of Tucson. Hi, folks. This is Mario, Dr. Bedoya's son of Dedicated Dental. As Americans, we work hard for what we have. We want to enjoy life with family and friends, especially over a good meal. But if you have dentures, sometimes it seems impossible. We can help. That's why you should consider dental implants from Dedicated Dental. Dr. Bedoya and his associates have done wonders for our denture patients with dental implants. The dental implants secure and keep the dentures in
0: place at all times and breathe.